expressed to the two services before you I, uh, that uh, being here feels at home. Uh, Carla and I have been here a lot of years, but uh, um, many of you have probably not seen us much in recent years. Uh, and if you came in recent years, you know, who's this guy? Uh, it's uh, more than half of the last three or four years we've been out of the country someplace around the world. Uh, and helping people involved in mission, and, and some of you have even gone with me to places where there is no mission, and uh, we get to plow new ground. And uh, those, have been, those have been fun things, good things. And, uh, but this is home, and your family to us, and we're, we're just, uh, we're grateful. I have some thoughts this morning. <clears throat> I have more thoughts than I have time. I got two-thirds of the way through my notes in the first service. I got halfway through in the second service. So I have no idea what's going to happen this time. Except this is the last one. We can go tell one, right? <laughs> You're kind. Or you have somebody taking you out to lunch or what? Oh, <laughs> uh, listen. Well, my thoughts uh, run down this line. There are many influences um, that shape our lives. Um, shape what we believe, what we become. Um, and those, probably the strongest influences in our lives are those closest to us. Uh, family, siblings, uh, relatives, uh, friends, teachers, and uh, to my regret, uh, media personalities. Uh, there are just a lot of different influences in our life that shape us. Uh, we have a part in, in decisions we make that regard to that, but they're nonetheless strong influences. Life experiences mark us, uh, both for good, uh, for bad. And um, all of these things would be true of me, so I reflect back and uh, where we've been, what we've done, what we are, what, uh, all these things. Uh, I can identify influences that were major in my life. Um, there were two things that um, hung on my bedroom wall that in a very strange way have followed me all through my life and have been a major influence uh, for me. Um, one is a, a picture. Uh, it's a picture of Jesus standing at the door knocking. And um, uh, that hung on my bedroom wall from the first time I can remember anything. Uh, until I left home. It meant nothing to me other than it was a picture that um, my parents and my mom uh, hung on the wall. Um, I remember asking my mom once, um, what's the meaning of this picture? And she quoted a verse in the scripture, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And um, I thought, that's interesting. But in junior high, um, I ended up in a church, a, a story that's fun, but... Um, in the second service that I attended in that church, I heard a message of why Christmas and why Easter it was in November. 
And it was about the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus and his resurrection and why that was necessary for God to do that. Uh, and I remember feeling a, a sense of um, uh, shame, guilt, that God would have to do that for me. And I remember responding that morning that um, it was a response. Uh, didn't, there wasn't a lot of knowledge, understanding that went with it, other than it was a heart that I wanted to come to God and I wanted to know God. And um, a lot grew out of that. But after that, um, this picture began to mean something to me. Um, the arch over the top of the door and the arch to the left that supports the roof uh, form the top of a heart. Uh, if you can see the light shape in that. And the painter, uh, Solomon, uh, was trying to portray this verse that Jesus is knocking, the door of our heart. Uh, and if anyone will open the door and notice there's no latch on the outside, the door's open from the inside. And... Uh, the darkness around and the light in the center of the door, all those things began to take a whole lot of meaning for me in life. And knowing that uh, at any given point in my life, Jesus is at the door of my heart. And if for some reason he feels outside, he's still there. He just doesn't ever go away. Um, a second thing hung on my wall, a plaque. This too was a painting of uh, Solomon. Um, and it's the, the head of Jesus and, uh, and the statement that came with it, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Uh, the ye up there for all of you who live today is the Old English you. I just thought I'd be a translator here for you in case you didn't know that. So that was uh, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. In the text we're reading today in the English Standard Version here, it says the truth will set you free. That probably means more to me than just make me free, that uh, there's a release in the word set that helps me. But that hung on my wall as well, and it too meant nothing until I came to faith. And it's something about coming to faith, how things of the scripture all of a sudden come alive. And I think it has to do something with the presence of the Holy Spirit who prompted the people to write what they wrote in the Bible in the same spirit who gives us understanding when we read it, that there's an openness in my heart and life to him and his voice uh, having responded in faith, that uh, things take on meaning. Well, this had meaning, and we're going to talk about that today. This is the major focus uh, direction. But before we do, I want to read the scripture with you that's the context this statement comes out of and uh, have some insights that will come from that. So I'm going to ask, as our tradition here, if you would stand with me as I read the, the scripture here in, in honor of it. We're reading in John chapter 8, uh, verses 30 through 36. Uh, the context is Jesus is in a dialogue with some Jewish religious leaders. Uh, they are Pharisees. Um, and they're, uh, they're indicated in, in this text here as believers, but uh, it must be a different meaning of believe. But uh, you'll see that as we read. And so as he was saying these things, that's Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, 
and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Father, I ask that uh, you would prompt in our hearts and minds the things you want us to walk away with today. By your spirit, Lord, speak to us. Uh, Give us ears to hear you. Lord, give us uh, tender hearts that can receive what you say and be responsive. And we give the day and this time to you and thank you for the privilege in Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. As a teenager, um, I always had a lot of stuff going on in my life and in my mind, and there were uh, many nights when sleep was just not something I, I knew I had to get, but I just wasn't ready to go to sleep. And I'd lay there in bed just staring at the ceiling and passing by these things on my wall and reflecting on them. And I can recall reflecting uh, on some of the things that uh, came to my head as I looked at this plaque. Um, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free and I remember asking the question what's the relationship between truth and freedom Um, and the closest thing I could come to my head was well what's the opposite of truth A, a lie and I thought truth lie and then I was thinking you know telling a lie does create a bondage of its own I'm never free when I lie. As I'm always on guard, I have to protect the lie. I have to keep it hidden. I don't want anybody to know that I told a lie. And so I guard it, so I'm always on guard about the lie I told. I'm never free from it. I'm enslaved to it. In fact, if I have to, I'll even tell another lie to protect the first one. That only puts me deeper in, the, in this muck of, you know, I said it and I've done it and, and now what? And, it, and if any of you are watching TV, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This last week in the Olympics, if you, if you missed that, you might want to catch up on it. That's an example for life for you to hang on to. But it just, it's amazing how a moment an insignificant moment, an irrelevant moment, ends up as an international incident. And rather than owning it, and owning the behavior to tell a lie, and then live in the bondage of that. I'm never free when I lie. There's another thought that came to me is that I'm always free when I tell the truth. I got nothing to protect, I got nothing to hide. There's a freedom from guilt when I tell the truth. I may not like the truth, it may not be pretty, but it's the truth. I don't have to make something up about it. I may have to clarify it, but I don't have to make anything up. A couple examples here. I took a coin that didn't belong to me 
when I was in grade school. My friend had a birthday party, and at this birthday party, they gave away uncirculated half-dollar coins as prizes for the things that happened. I know you and I would never take an uncirculated coin and give it as a gift in a party. You'd put it in the bank in the safety deposit box and hoping that in 10 years it might be worth a dollar or something. But we had these half-dollar gifts. I never won a prize during the night, and as the evening ended and most people had left, there was still one coin left sitting on the table. And I picked it up and put it in my pocket. And when I got home, I put it in, buried it in the bottom of a drawer someplace. And the next day, thinking about it, realizing that I had done something I probably shouldn't have done, uh, I didn't regard it, I just wasn't thinking. I can't say that I was inebriated, but I just wasn't thinking. That had to do with the Olympics. I, you, but I, I'm, uh, I just felt terribly, and it grew on me, it felt terribly guilty that I had taken something, actually stolen something that wasn't mine. And I finally came to the place where I, I had to, to fess up and give it back to him two years later. So I'm living with this for two years. I go to him and I say, hey, I got something that belongs to you. He says, yeah, what? And I have the coin. He says, here, this is yours. He says, for what? I said, well, and then I told him the whole story about the party and all the stuff that I took and I felt really bad and I was really sorry and I, you need to have it yours. And he said, no, nah, it's nothing, keep it. I said, I can't keep it now. <laughs> and I just, I use that as an example only to say how something simple, thoughtless maybe, um, certainly not appropriate. I took something that wasn't mine and I lived in that guilt for two years in a bondage to that. I didn't have to. I could have left it there on the table. But the next day when I felt guilt about it, I could have dealt with it then. But that's how doing something that's, that's inappropriate, not right, dishonest, can draw you and me into the bondage for a long time. And you just don't need to live there. As kids, we used to like to play pirates. And we'd have wars that we'd create with each other, but we didn't have a treasure. So I borrowed my mom's jewelry and put it in a little box that looked like a treasure box. There was punishment for that. <laughs> it wasn't all costume jewelry. <laughs> um, so out of that, I learned that uh, doing wrong and hiding it uh, has punishment that comes with it. And if I live honestly and openly and I do things that are right, I can also be free of punishment. Just things about living an honest, truthful life. A couple metaphors uh, came to my mind. Um, one is that truth is like the guardrail on the road of life. Uh, if you drive the road up to Big Bear Lake, you know just before you get to the dam, the, ro the road follows the cliff around the corner and it's like 2,000 feet straight down. Um, and without that guardrail, 
uh, that makes for pretty anxious driving. But without that guardrail and on ice, as I was at one point in time, and sliding, uh, there was the, just that great fear that it's all over now. But there was a guardrail. Um, there was a parameter of safety preventing me from going over the cliff off the road. And in the metaphor of this, um, living by God's truth, living by the things that God tells us are true, impacts everything in our life, particularly relationships. And that relationship is built on trust. And when there's a lie, when there's dishonesty, trust is at risk. So I live the truth and I speak the truth. It impacts the quality of my heart and my life. It reflects in its integrity, reflects in its dependability, reflects in its wisdom. God's truth is important. When you know the truth and live the truth, there's freedom that's in that. The other metaphor of mine is, uh, it's not mine, it's in the book, uh, truth is the light in the darkness. Um, you've been in the dark before and uh, you've had to get from one place to another and you can't see what's in the, in the path in front of you and you don't know where you're going. I don't know if you've ever been driving sometime at night and your headlights go out, that's a fun experience. Um, What's even fun is uh, driving over a mountain pass in a snowstorm in the daytime and everything's white. There's nothing outside of you that's not white and you can't even tell what's up or down. That's light, not darkness, but you get the sense of feeling of being disoriented and not knowing and darkness can do that to you. And I, uh, I just know how simple a little bit of light can be in great darkness. Uh, uh, back in some days when Dan Martin and I were doing high school stuff, like mega years ago, um, we went out into Majestic Canyon, out to a Silverado uh, Canyon, or to a silver mine in Majestic Canyon. And uh, we found the mine and we got down in the shaft, there were about 10 of us, and uh, got down into the hole and there's this big kind of cavern that's there and then a, then a, a, a just a tunnel through into the mountain. And we started following it down. It was beautiful, calcium, you know, hanging on the walls and glistening. And it was just, it was uh, great until we got out of the sunlight from the opening and it got darker and darker and darker to where you couldn't see the entrance where we came and you couldn't see anything ahead. It was pitch black. You could feel the darkness. <clears throat> There's more story to this. You don't have to ask for a second service about it. But the, the, one of the, the, the high school students had a pen light and took the pen light and lit it and the entire cave lit up. Just a little pen light. It's just the, the great darkness that was just, you could feel all of a sudden was dissipated. It's an experience, but it's an experience that can happen in your life and my life when we get in, get in touch with what is true and we live it and embrace that truth. And the stuff that's around us that brings darkness in our heart and life and mind dissipates. When I'm free of the bondage of all that stuff that comes in life, because I've embraced what's true, I've been open and transparent with what is true, I find freedom in that. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And I thought, this is really cool. I'm glad mom hung that. I have a dad too, by the way. Uh, I just, mom did these kind of things. 
But I'm just grateful that I have these kind of things in my mind, my brain. But what has remained with me all these years is that uh, Jesus stands at the door of my heart, knocking, wanting to enter, and if I open the door, he'll come in. Doesn't matter if I'm in full rebellion and someplace else or just never come to him, never acknowledged him, anything, he's knocking at the door of my heart, saying, let me in, let's sit down and have a meal together. Let's have good fellowship. For it means I've walked with him and I've walked away from him. I'm a long ways from him. He's knocking at the door of my heart. They're in the time and point in my life that I don't have that image in my head that says, I'm welcome in God's presence and he pursues me. He isn't just waiting. He's in pursuit of me. And he's in pursuit of you. And he's not going to let you be happy apart from a relationship with him that's full and complete. That's what he created us for. Well, having given you great um, philosophical thoughts, maybe psychological thoughts, personal thoughts, life stories about this verse. Deciding that this is what I wanted to teach on Sunday morning, and then I went and did something I always do when I speak, but never had spoken specifically to this verse and never did what I usually do. Read the text around it. You know, every text has a context. So you read before and after and get a picture of it. And I discovered something, that there's a truth in this verse that I have fully missed all of these years. As valuable as it is, I found something more valuable. I've got the verse for you on the scripture here. This is the context. And Jesus was saying these things, and many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This was not an abstract proverb relating truth and freedom. It was a statement of outcome to a conditional phrase. If. If you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I'm going, how did I miss that? I mean, I'd embrace the idea, generally speaking, but in this text, how did I miss this? If you abide in my word. The word abide has, gets translated a variety of ways in your text. Um, it could be translated remain. If you remain in my word, if you stay in my word, um, I think from my perspective, the best translations, when you're at home, in my word, uh, the word that's translated abide, remain, its root word is home. And so, you know, that you would live there. Um, so if you live in my word, abide in my word, you know, remain in my word, you will know the truth. Because you've been in my word, you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. So there was an action on my part. And Jesus was saying to them, if you do this, you'll know what's true. All through scripture, we find that the, the word that we have here speaks of itself as truth, elevates itself as truth. And I said, well, that could happen to anybody. 
But it's interesting here that Jesus, in his priestly prayer in behalf of his disciples at the end of his life, it's recorded in John chapter 17, verse 17, he says this, uh, asks this of the Father in his prayer. He says, Father, sanctify them, the disciples, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word sanctify means set apart. Set them apart in the truth. Your word is the truth. Can I count on that? So far. God has proven himself faithful in everything I've read in his word. Things I didn't like, things I couldn't believe, things I couldn't embrace, things that still don't make sense. God has given me a subtleness and a confidence and proven over and over again that he's faithful to what's in his word. That's just a testimony. You're going to say, what's that old man know? He probably has poor memory. Your word is truth. I read in Romans chapter 10, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Even our coming to faith in God and trusting in Jesus comes because of the word that's spoken to us. Because of the words that are recorded here, the message that's recorded here. That faith is stimulated, that that, that comes, that faith is stimulated by the word. The word is the source of faith for you and me, not only in coming to faith and salvation, but coming in faith and living in faith in the the ongoing things of my life. Faith comes from hearing the word. Don't neglect it. The first Bible that I, I received, my mom wrote on the front of it, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, 105. I thought when I got that, that's cool, but that is really true. When I'm saying what's right, what should I do, what's God want, what pleases him, what's the best course, those answers have been here. It's a light to my path. It's a source of life direction. Jesus told a story of the importance of his word and paying attention to his word. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 7, and this is uh, the end of what's been called the Sermon on the Mount. That's uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He had this big crowd, and he spoke to them for three chapters, however long that took. Um, but at the end of it, he told this story. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Two things, he said, those who hear my word, those who do something with it. And the one who hears it and acts on it, responds to it, lives by it. It's like the man who's built his house, his life, on a solid rock. And regardless of the storms of life and things that can come, that house is going to stand. His faith is going to stand. His life relationship with God is going to stand. 
So it's not just hearing, it's embracing it, living by it. That story continues with another example, and it says, those who hear and don't do anything about it are like people who built their house on the sand. And when the storms come, the house falls, and great is the collapse of it. Listen to my words and do it, practice it. Paul encouraged the believers to invest themselves in the word. Just a couple references I'd give to you would be one, his uh, letter to the Colossians, the people in the city of Colossae. He says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How does that happen? Spend enough time in the word, read it enough that it's in your memory bank. Invest the energy to memorize passages of scripture so it's in your memory bank, it's in your database. Give something for the Holy Spirit to use and to reflect on and bring to your memory to, to remind you of the things that God has said to you. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Back when I was a high school kid, a man uh, uh, just took an interest in trying to help me grow in my faith. And um, uh, a lot of things about him were uh, uh, not attractive to me. He was dumpy, he didn't speak well, and he wore big glasses like Coke bottle glasses, thick things. He just looked really strange to me. He had a heart of pure gold and wanted me to grow in my relationship with the Lord. And he just kept after me until I submitted, gave up, and I agreed to meet with him once a week. And in the course of that time, we walked through a lot of scripture together. In the course of that time, he made me memorize 180 verses in scripture. Uh, the first 10 made me really proud. Uh, the rest of more hard work. But almost all of those 180 verses are still in me. I only validate taking the time and the energy to memorize. Because when it's in your head, you can reflect on it. The Spirit can use that. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Because it's in that word and you dwell in it, you'll know what God's truth is and the truth is going to set you free. To Timothy, uh, Paul wrote, said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. <coughs> I put a parenthesis up there, I did. Study. Um, King James, New American Standard say study. I like that. It's implied in the statement that's there in the text as it's translated, but uh, invest yourself in the scriptures, study it, learn it so that you won't ever have a reason to be ashamed when you handle it, when you deliver it, when you talk about it. You'll have confidence. Study, invest yourself, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman, a workman approved, not ashamed. Huh. I think we'd call an organization around that, Alana maybe, a workman, 
approved, not ashamed. I bet some of you didn't even know that. Can I invest myself in God's word? Our freedom is in God's truth. It's in his word. God's truth, when we seek it, when we know it, when we live it, we will recognize truth in any situation we come into in life. And we'll be far less deceived by the things we hear when we have a standard in which to weigh our life experience against. And the standard being God's truth. God's truth will set us free in the inner man, in the heart, in the mind, and the soul. God's truth is the only source that will bring us peace, contentment, confidence, courage, energy. The things of freedom will always be available to us when we embrace his word, the truth. The truth will set you free. This is a statement that the Pharisees obviously missed. Jesus made the statement, uh, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Their response was, they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? When I read that verse, I said, uh, duh. This sounds like memory loss. I think I read in Exodus that you spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt. I think I remember reading in Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah that you spent 70 years in Babylonia as slaves. And have you not recognized that in this very day that Jesus is speaking, the Romans rule over you and will for almost 200 years? And I thought, that is really dumb. And then I thought, how many things am I enslaved in that I just don't recognize because it's become normal? What is there in my life that is, that is uh, a bondage to me that is a restriction to me keeping me from enjoying and experiencing the freedom that I have in God? Is it something in the past that's guilt, that's nagging? You know, that's hanging on there. I, I, can't, I can't serve God. I can't, I can't be public with God because of this thing in my past. Can I be open with that and embrace it in God, as God does? What's he say? If you confess your sin, God's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you, to wash it away. What does he say about the things of our life that are guilt, that are back there? You know, come to him, express him, confess it, Make right whatever you can. And then what does God do with it? Scripture says he casts it as far as the east is from the west. The west to the east. Uh, he buries it in the depths of the deepest sea. He remembers it no more. Those are all scripture quotes, by the way. Can I live in the freedom that I have in, in God's mercy and grace? Or is it the thing you've heard from childhood that you're less than, you're less than, you're not, you're, and you have this sense, this perception of yourself that I'm nobody and I can't do it right. I've been watching the Olympics and I love there's one TV ad, the kid that everything he touches breaks. Did you just see that one? You know what I'm talking about? 
Everything he touches, it, it, you know, and it, that's his, you know, the parents are going, oh, no, not again, you know, and everything falls apart, and he walks out the back door, and he walks into their brand new car, and the panic on the face of the parents is great. I, I just, there's, there's a reputation that follows us in life, and we embrace it and call it real. And we don't take the time in God's word to learn how God sees us. He says, anyone that's in Christ is a new creation. All things have become new. I'm still waiting for some of that. But I, you know, if I understand that, that I have a, I'm a different person before God because I've embraced what he's done for me in Christ, I'm free. Maybe I need to go back and reassess how I see myself and how God sees me and find the freedom that's mine in him. I'm a whole lot less than what I want to be, think I am. I'm a, I'm a whole lot more than I have any idea. And the more I read scripture, the more I find out what I am in him and what I can do, what he can do in me. That's freedom. The Pharisees who embraced their religious heritage as their statement of, you know, we got it good because we're the sons of Abraham. And we got it good because we're good. Jesus' statement to the Pharisees was this, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And obviously here he's speaking of spiritual bondage that comes in sin and can result in consequences for us in this life too. Jesus had raised the question about sin twice with the Pharisees in this dialogue uh, prior to this statement. In verse 21, he says, So Jesus said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. In verse 24, he said, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, the Messiah, you will die in your sins. Jesus was calling these who rebelled against him, had a hard heart toward him. He was still calling them to come recognize it. Recognize the sin. Recognize you're a slave to it. Paul brings a clear definition to sin and its bondage to us. This will be a refresher to some of you and maybe new to some of you, and I hope that being new to it, you will understand. Jesus said these kinds of things, and Paul, as he reflected them, and I speak first of in, in Romans. This is what he says about sin and how Jesus reconciles rebellious people to himself. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Not just some, all of us. Sin is not a word I use every day. I use it Sunday. I use it in a small group Bible study maybe. But there isn't anybody in the streets in the normal day of my life and working, I use the word sin. So I have to find other words to help me communicate that because most people don't understand it. It's a religious word. Well, maybe it'd be easier if I just said, Sin is a rebellious heart. It's a heart that's bent on its own way. Self-centered. It's a heart that has to be in control. 
all of the things that God is in our life, we refuse because we want to be God of our life. That's sin. And all of us have that. Some of us hide it better than others. Some of us control it better than others. But it's present. I think you know that. Paul goes on in Romans to say, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Crime pays. Sin pays. You get to pay. And in the justice of a righteous God, that penalty is death, eternal separation from him. The consequence of sin in our life, that rebellious self-centeredness, the consequence of that is death, separation from God. But God gives a free gift to us, and it's called eternal life, and it's through Christ. In Romans 5 it says, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The justice of God and our sinfulness requires death. It says here that God loves us and Christ died for us. How's, what's the connect? Peter grabs this really clearly for us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. God in his justice, we stand condemned to death, separation from God. And God's mercy and his grace sent his son Jesus to take that penalty, that consequence, in our behalf. And he did that on the cross. Don't ever take that lightly any day of your life. I got no ground to stand in judgment of another. I'm as guilty or more than anybody. I just know God's grace. Can I extend grace to someone else? Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross. In chapter 3 in 1 Peter it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. His death on the cross, his punishment on our behalf, was so that he might bring us to God. And coming to him, know his truth and know his freedom. I'm free from the consequences and the judgment of sin. In Romans 6 it says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. By choice, I choose to do the things that please God, that he wants. At least that's my ambition. So you and I, recognizing the truth of God and what's true about us and what's true about him and what he teaches in his word, will know that truth and that truth will set us free. And I want to live in that freedom and I want you to live in that freedom. That's what God promises to us. The passage finishes, the slave does not remain in the house forever. 
the Son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He's saying to the Pharisees, the slave does not remain in the house forever. I've already told you you're a slave of your sin. And as a slave, you're not going to be in God's house forever. I will be because I'm the son. I'm not a slave. But I want you to know that as the son, if I set you free, you're free. And that's the message God gave to us. That's his truth. And we can count on it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, all of your investment and time in each one of us, your pursuit of us, your love for us, your grace, your mercy, your provision, your protection, all the things that you do in our lives, Lord. The things that we've refused to acknowledge or to give you your rightly, rightful place. Lord, thank you for your grace, your mercy, and understanding your forgiveness. Thank you for these words in your book today. I pray that in the course of this week you remind us often that we might pursue the freedom that's in you because we pursue your truth and to live by it. And I thank you in Jesus.